Hey guys, this is Joe. I don't believe this. I've got a trick midterm tomorrow and I'm being chased by Guido the Killer Pimp. What's up, guys? It's Eric. Every now and then, say what the fuck. What the fuck gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. Just take those old records off the I don't remember giving permission for a party, Joe. A party? I've never listened to a myself. You ever get high, Joe? There's a time for playing it safe and a time for risky business. Starring Tom Cruise, rated R. Starts Friday at the theater near you. Check your newspaper for local listings. You're listening to Worth the Late Fee, the podcast where two former video rental clerks watch movies that they may have recommended at one time to see if they still think that the film would be worth keeping an extra day or two to watch again, even if it meant paying a late fee. How's it going, Joe? Not too bad, Eric. How are you? I'm not. I'm not bad. Not bad. Tired, but but not bad. Anything new? Uh, not really. I <clears throat> talked about this last week as well. School starting, and it's just beginning. It's been getting ramped up a couple notches here. So before, so with my job, I go to different schools and I talk to kids about life skills and advocating for themselves and communication and getting them, you know, building resumes and so forth. But with our doing it remote. It was really nice because we can compact a ton of schools all around the area and not worry about travel. Cause you just go yeah. off one call to the next. And But now with a lot of in-person stuff, we're trying to figure out the best way to go about this because we can't take every school we had last year now because we, we, it was, it's impossible to do. So we, we have to turn away some schools. And it's been kind of been a problem thinking about the commutes because we're so used yeah. to remote. But How many? Because you said that you go, like I think I remember, didn't you say that at one point you were at Lynn? Oh, I go to sometimes Lynn's selling masks. Yeah, those, yeah, so that's, thankfully, that's, quite the... that's a hike. So thankfully, those are the ones we're trying to keep remote just to avoid that part of it. But we're doing so in-person. quite the range. Oh, it's quite the range. We do like the whole like North Shore area, Merrimack Valley area. We kind of go everywhere. But yeah, so it's, been a, it's been a work in progress to try and figure out who we're going to turn away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My vote goes to Salem, Mass, and Lynn. Sorry, Garrett. Sorry, guys. No, yeah, that's it's fair. It's understandable. How about you, though? What have you been up to? <clears throat> um, I went to well, good news. I went to my first. Uh, so, the Red Sox moved their AAA minor league affiliate from Pawtucket to Worcester. Um, th- this is the first year, so I went to my first Woo Sox game on last Friday. Oh, cool. Uh, at, yeah, the, the stadium's called Polar Park for Polar Seltzer. That's who the sponsor is. Okay. And it is by far the nicest minor league stadium I've ever been to. It looks like a big league stadium, um, but smaller. And I, that sounds stupid because you might say like, oh, every little every minor league. But it's it's really not. It's like it has seats all around the whole ballpark, which is different than a lot of minor league stadiums. It has like a they have like their version of the green monster, except it's in right field and they have seats on that, which is where we sat. Um, it's just a really cool spot. Um, the pictures look really nice when you pull, when you showed those, those are really nice. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bree, Bree, it was funny. Bree, I don't think Bree had ever really been to Worcester, maybe like driven through it. I used to go to Worcester all the time for concerts. Like every, every other weekend in high school, I was in Worcester for, for concerts. And so I'd been, but it had been a long time, over 10 years. <clears throat> and we were there for like all of three minutes 
and some guy drives by and like, you know, which is a city. It's like the second biggest city in Massachusetts, I think, or it's in the top five. So it's, you know, there's good, there's pros and cons and there's some, <laughs> so some guy drives by and like says, he says something in the window out to me, yells something out the window. He didn't even yell. He was just talking to me out his car window. And, I, and so I started talking back to him and he's like, Eric, hey, shut up, whatever. And I'm like, I didn't even do anything. And she's like, I know, but it was just, but the whole experience that was awesome. I definitely. What was he talking about? Was it like, was it like a bad conversation or was it like. <laughs> oh, it was a bad conversation. Okay. But the whole, the weirdest thing is like, I'm the first person to admit, like if I run a red light or like if I, if I do something and you give me, say something to me, I'd be the first person to admit it. I swear on my life, Bree and I are just walking to the stadium and we, we parked a half mile from the stadium. So it wasn't like we were like far away from, you know, right. And this guy just drives by, rolls down his window and he's talking to me, but I can't hear what he's saying, but he's, he's looking at me with like, not a friendly face. It wasn't right. like, he was like, Oh, the stadium's right around the corner guys. He was saying something to me. And, and so I was like, what are you saying? Tough guy. And I'm like, yeah. And Bree's like, Eric, stop it. Stop it. So I was pretty sure that we were going to like, leave the stadium and i was gonna get hit and killed in the drive-by or something but <laughs> but then so that's good news so and then was that stadium ahead. built oh, that was not was was that stadium built for this team was already there and this kind of like fix it up for no they team? yeah they built it brand new they actually okay. played a pretty cool video during the game of like the construction of you know a lot of like where we live where they have like the old mill buildings and you know they either convert them or they tear them down and put something up that's good for the community they played a cool video of showing like what used to be where we were in the, when we were in the stadium and them knocking it down and building this new, beautiful minor league stadium. So yeah, it was super cool. And then, uh, so today's Wednesday. So yesterday, the city that Joe and I live in had its mayoral mayoral primary election. So I worked that. It was a long day. It was, I got there at five 45, and I left at like 8.30. So, wow. yeah, super long day. Um, but it's fun. It's I like, and I'm going to be doing the real election, like the actual election or whatever, however you want to call it, in uh, November as well. And I, I like it. I like getting involved in, I would say, what, what, whatever your views are, whatever, it's fun to get involved in, in local politics and just help out and volunteer. You feel like you're part of the process and, and everything goes nice. So. Um, yeah, that's about it. Um, where we would normally talk about what we're watching, I think we have to mention some bad news Yeah. that, um, well, I know he's one of our favorite, both of our favorites and one of his movies is one of our, both of our favorites, the, the great Norm Macdonald passed away and there aren't many times. I think the last time, I mean, it's just, it bums me out. We had, we just had bad news last podcast or the podcast before. But this one hit me the hardest since the last time a celebrity died and it bummed me out this much was when Robin Williams died. I remember that, like that really, that really stung, but Norm McDonald, I saw, I mean, I I shared a few of them on our Instagram story, but I think my favorite, um, I I wish I could give credit to who said it, but someone tweeted out Norm. So he died of cancer after he battled cancer for nine years. And someone tweeted out, battling cancer for nine years and not telling anyone is the most Norm Macdonald thing, <laughs> like, ever. And uh, <clears throat> Norm Macdonald was, like, I don't know, 
he, he was so funny in his own way. There was only one Norm Macdonald. There will never be another Norm Macdonald. And I'll, yeah. Uh, yeah, Joe, you can talk for it. Just, it this one hurts. No, you, you pretty much know that he was someone who could be controversial, but not offend people. So like it was, he just, he was rare in that sense where he wasn't on tabloids for this big controversy. He would, he would, he wouldn't let, he wouldn't let his fear take over the comedy side of his of of, of his stand-up acts and his podcast and his mm-hmm. live show. So like that alone is just goes to show how legendary he was. Like you said, it it really really hit hard. We were I was talking to my brother about this, and we grew up with just like Eric was saying. I grew up with Dirty Work. It was the first yep. movie I ever bought. Yep. So that was like my first, which is which is hilarious because. You were way too young to be watching. I was that. way too young. I was too young to be watching when I was watching it. And I'm I'm a few years older than you, so sorry. Go ahead. No, no, like it's like nothing. That's about me, but like it, his film for a reason. Dirty Work was like something that always stuck with me. So it's gonna be it's gonna be a little bittersweet to revisit that when that comes up because that's going to be popping up at some point. So it'll be a little hard to revisit that one now. But yeah, um, and and another thing about Norm Macdonald too, and and you've seen it in the outpouring of, of love and support since he passed, but everyone loved Norm Macdonald. So yeah. all different types of comedians, all different types of actors, yeah. you know, they all say he was the funny, one of the funniest people I've ever met. And to follow up on what you said about him kind of walking that line, we talked a few, I think we talked about this on the podcast a few weeks ago about like comedies and how like, you know, comedies now are too, they're, they're too afraid to not be too, they're too afraid to offend anyone. And one of the things we talked about was, or that in my personal opinion is you have to consider the source and you have to like, think about, does the person really think that is the, if the person makes a joke about, you know, women or children or men or a certain race or religion, do you think the person is really saying that out of, out of hate that, that, that he has, he or she has, or, is it coming from just a, a comedy mind that's trying to say something funny? And I think that the reason Norm Macdonald got away with walking that line or maybe even stepping over the line is everyone knew he was, a, and I don't know, obviously I don't know Norm Macdonald, but everyone that talks about him and everyone that was friends with him knew he was such a great person oh, right, that he didn't, he, it wasn't coming from a bad place. He was just, he was just trying to make everyone laugh. Right. The the rumor is the reason why he left or got fired from SNL is because he wouldn't back off of OJ Simpson during that time. So that just goes to show his moral compass. Like he knew OJ's a piece of shit and he would right. not go easy on him when the SNL upper, higher roughs told him told them to go a little easy on him. Well he's he probably didn't. saying too. He's probably saying too, like of all the stuff you said you want me to go easy on OJ Simpson. Right. I can make all these jokes about every everyone else and you're sticking up for OJ Simpson. Right. So that's just those are show where his moral com- moral compass is. So like you said. Yeah. Um, but his quote on cancer though is too perfect. What, how, what is it? His quote on cancer, how it's not oh yeah, the whole courageous, you know, he lost a courageous battle if after this how many however many years, and then it's like, doesn't the body doesn't doesn't cancer die with the body so it's a draw i'm like right. man like that is like the line to live by at this point i saw a, um i think i saved it but i saw a pretty cool yeah i did <clears throat> so this is just a screenshot of an, of an interaction between norm and a fan so this is from 2018 so this fan you can i'll, I'll try to remember, i'll share this on our instagram so this fan tweeted at norm mcdonald in 2018 
and said, hi, Norm. Don't know if you will read this. My mom passed away and was wondering if you could give me some words of wisdom. You are the funniest ever. And Norm responded and said, take all, the guy's name was Pablo. <clears throat> and so Norm responded and said, take all, the, take all the love you have for her, Pablo, and give it freely to all that you meet. Your mom will look down upon you happy and proud. So I think that's a pretty cool like way to end it and know that Norm MacDonald is, you know, there, like I said, there'll never be another Norm MacDonald and no. the world really did lose one of the funniest people to ever walk the earth. Yep. But I'm surprised yeah. you haven't mentioned he's Canadian, Eric. I, I was, I know I oh. was going to say that, but I, I didn't want to turn it into a joke thing, I, but he, but it's just to show though, the Canadians are always nice. And like Norm MacDonald is a nice guy. That tweet alone says it all about him. So it's kind of like the fact that he was, he took the time of his day to reach out to some stranger to kind of, you know, give a little peace of mind, but yeah. Right. And, and in all seriousness, like that, that is that the people like Norm MacDonald and Martin Short, they have that same, like they're quick their wise asses they'll they'll rip you apart but like yeah. it's with a, it's w- with a good heart you know what i mean like right. they'll, they'll say some of the meanest stuff and then he does have that same like you know like like i said martin short you know john candy they, they're all just so funny in, in, a, in a very their own way will arnett so um yeah so rest in peace norm mcdonald it's it stinks that we have to do like a rest in peace memo for the either the second episode in a row or two out of the last three i can't remember but yeah but rest in peace so to get into the positive today we'll be discussing this is my pick um i'll get into why i picked it in a second we're going to be talking about risky business the 80s classic with uh with tom cruise you guys heard the the trailer so you may have figured that out but um to go along with it i'm drinking one of the better beer movie pairings we've had so far the beer is called Crispy Business from Mayflower Brewing. Uh, it's, it's good, super drinkable, super crisp, like the name says. I'll share a pic of the can on Instagram, and you'll see it. It is one of the one of the better pairings that we've had. So, as far as why I picked it, I think I've seen almost all or all of the '80s classics, and not only have I seen them, but I'm I'm pretty familiar with them. Like I can quote them, get the references. If someone else makes a reference, I get it. You know, all that stuff. So I have seen this movie, but it had been a very long time. Joe and I were talking about it before we started recording. <clears throat> and after rewatching it, I think that maybe I've seen it once all the way through, but I've seen it more so in bits and pieces. I was way less familiar with it than I thought I was, but I saw that it was on HBO Max. I was looking for a high school movie, so it was, it was meant to be. Um, I was more sure that this is the right cho- choice when I saw something like that we're going to talk about in a second, but um, Joe, what is your memory of the film? <laughs> like, like we were talking about, not a whole lot. I remember the famous dance sequence, obviously the glass egg playing a pretty big part in the movie. Um, but honestly, with the exception of a couple quotes, like the one I use in my opener, I don't remember a whole lot of this movie. So this kind of caught me off guard a little bit. <laughs> you, I, I think you are in the same boat as a lot of people. My memory of the film is exactly what you said. The scene that everyone thinks of when they think of this movie, the old time rock and roll. Um, Tom Cruise slides out in his tidy whiteies. One of the most iconic, definitely 80s scenes. If not, I think there are people that haven't seen this movie, but if you show them that scene, they're like, oh, that scene from Risky Business. They don't know anything about this movie other than that. So I don't think we're alone in that. Um, 
Do you have any stats for how it did financially? I do. So Risky Business came out on August 5th, 1983, and had a budget of $6.2 million, making $63.5 million in the box office. Not bad. Not bad. It was written directed by Paul Brickman, and this marked Paul's directorial debut. Before this, Paul ran a couple of films, including the Bad News Bears sequel. And during a small filmography, um, he stuck with writing mostly and only directed two other films. So he's also known as this giant resume. He just kind of picked and chose what he wanted, with his last being a short film in 2012. All right. So critically, or how it's reviewed online, um, this is where I said a minute ago, there was something that made me more sure that I wanted to talk about this one. So it's a 6.8 out of 10 on IMDb. It's a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is crazy. Not, I'm not saying it's a bad movie, but that's, that's way higher than I would have guessed before rewatching it and after rewatching it. And also, Ebert, huge fan, four stars. And this is a quote from his review. Risky Business is a movie about male adolescent guilt. In other words, it's a comedy. It's funny because it deals with subjects that are so touchy, so fraught with emotional pain, that unless we laugh, there's hardly any way we can deal with them, especially if we are now or ever were a teenage boy. And then also in a separate, um, I don't know if it was a separate review or a separate article, <clears throat> he called it one of the best American comedies of recent years. So Roger Ebert, wow. he didn't just kind of like it. Roger Ebert is a huge fan. So. Yeah. You said it came out in August of 83, so that month in film, pretty pretty weak. Um, other than Risky Business, there was also Cujo, Curse of the Pink Panther, Hercules, uh, Easy Money with Rodney Dangerfield, and speaking of Canadian greatness, Strange Brew, which, how weird is that? We just talked, yeah. I, keep, I keep threatening to pick that, and it keeps coming up. So outside of film, uh, singer-songwriter Paul Simon marries uh, Carrie Fisher. That didn't work out, unfortunately, and rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. Uh, Joey Ramone of the Ramones was beaten so badly in a fight that he had to undergo brain surgery. Other than that, not a lot to talk about. Definitely nothing fun. So the only thing I can think to mention is some celebrities that were born that month. Um, so Nick Diaz, who's an MMA fighter, legendary MMA fire, fighter. Shane O'Brien, a professional hockey player. Chris Hemsworth, Mila Kunis, Dustin Pedroia, and Andrew Garfield. So that, that's, that's the news we'll take from that month. Do you have the uh, the back of the DVD summary or the back of the VHS? I do. Ecstatic when his parents leave on vacation for a few days, high school senior Joel Goodson cuts loose with his best friend Miles. After an attempt at securing the services of a prostitute goes slightly awry, Joel hires gorgeous Lena for a night of delight. Stunned by the amount of Lena's bill the next morning, Joel grows frantic after he crashes his father's Porsche. In an effort to raise lots of money fast, a desperate Joel turns the house into a brothel. Like, just like any teenager would, right? So, yeah, this is, this is what, I think that's what all <laughs> of us would do. So, I was going to ask this later as a bonus question, but in that review, in that back of the DVD summary you just mentioned, you brought it up. So, we're to believe that this all happened over a few days, because that was one of the things that I was thinking <laughs> the whole time, is I was like, me too. All right, so, the parents leave, let's say they fly out on like a Saturday, Cause there was like a day or two before um, his buddy introduced him to the idea of before miles brought up prostitution. And then he called the prostitute, the first one that uh, Joel wasn't a huge fan of. 
and then he called the other one. So, and then the whole movie really starts. So this all happened over a few days. Right. Isn't that, that kind of, I, I, that kind of crossed my mind a couple of times. So especially when all the furniture was outside later on, I was like, wait, how much, like, where are we right now in this, in this time frame? <laughs> Dude, I was thinking that this is a minimum two week vacation. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. Like there's a, there's too much that happened for it to have been over. Even, even, even if you say it was a four day weekend. No, no way. So anyway, um, some of the major cast members going into the film. So Tom Cruise, this is very close to the beginning of Tom Cruise. And, you know, we'll just, I'll just get into it later. But so Taps, uh, he Taps, and in, uh, in 83 is when he kind of took over. So in that year, in 83, he had The Outsiders, Risky Business, and All the Right Moves. And uh, losing it. Uh, and after that, he had Legend in 85, Top Gun and the Color of Money in 86, Cocktail and Rain Man in 88, Born on the Fourth of July in 89, Days of Thunder in 1990, Far and Away and Few Good Men in 92, The Firm in 93, Interview with a Vampire in 94, Mission Impossible and Jerry Maguire in 96. I'll stop there. And, and I think I said this the last time we talked about Tom Cruise, but an actor who, I can't think of another actor who's been more consistently active and a mega a mega movie star for the entire time. It's not like he established himself as like a heartthrob when he was 25 and then he took a back seat and he kind of reinvented himself. He never stopped. He's been on top of the world since he really came yeah, in. Yeah, he's like you said I can't think of many actors who who have, who who are like that. Will Smith at one point was almost that, but at, at this point it's like Tom Cruise really is with Mission Impossible. His movies, Mission Impossible films still break box office records each iteration. It's insane. Well, and you'll not, you will not find a better, a bigger Will Smith fan than I, but Will Smith started in film 10 or more years after. Right. And I would say since Will Smith, since Will Smith started, he's had more lulls. Like he said, yeah. he's, he's had stretches of one or two years where he's kind of out of the spotlight and Tom Cruise really hasn't. He's like, he's always been Tom Cruise since he came into it and reading his, his filmography, he has more like years where he has two huge movies two or three sometimes but like like i said like top gun and color of money in 86 cocktail and rain man in 88 you know what i mean like yeah it, and it's it, it's crazy because it's almost like his movies are turning into event films now we have top yeah. gun coming out we have mission possible coming out again like they're yeah. almost like big event films now right there's she will about the guy oh no yeah, go ahead, go ahead. no no go ahead go ahead as i said she will about i think we mentioned this last time while he may be personal stuff kind of weird here and there he is a professional when it comes to the business like he is at the top of his game with the profession of it and he's 59 years old and he's taking roles and killing roles that are probably most of the time meant for someone who's like 30 or right he has his own stunt still guys he's a he's a maniac he's he's a psychopath (laughs) yeah so anyway we'll move on uh rebecca de mornay who played lana or lana i guess it depends on you know where you're from and whatever but um she had worked before this, but this was definitely her real breakout. Two years later, she was in Slugger's Wife and Run- Runaway Train. She was also in Trip to Bountiful, Backdraft in 91, which I, when I was watching her, I was like, where do I know this girl from? Uh, she was also in Hand and Rocks the Cradle in 92. Um, and she's in some more recent stuff, like she was in Wedding Crashes in 05, but definitely more of a an 80s and 90s uh, babe. You talked about um, director Paul Brickman, so we'll skip over that. Just some other cast members worth mentioning. Curtis Armstrong as his buddy Miles. We just talked about Curtis, better off dead. Way better in this. Way better. 
And I don't know if it was just like stubble that they trimmed down, but I found him totally believable Hollywood standards as a high school kid in this movie. Whereas in um, Better Off Dead, I was like, that man's 47 years old. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know what the, the few things, but I bought him in this one. So. Well, I have a fun fact to you in a little bit there, Eric. <laughs> What's that? I have a fun fact to you in a little bit then. <laughs> about, okay. About, right. about Buddy Curtis. All right. So <laughs> another one of his friends was Barry, played by Bronson Pinchot. You know Bronson is a bulky bar Takamas in uh, Perfect Strangers. I always think of him in Beverly Hills Cop, uh, but he was quite a bit. He's in quite a bit of other stuff, but this is his film debut, and uh, and I'm a huge fan of Bronson Pinchot. Lastly, Joey Pantoliano as the creepiest looking pimp of all time, Guido. Yes. Um, so pretty solid, good. You know, Tom Cruise is killing it. Or Tom Cruise is a great leading guy. Rebecca De Mornay is a great leading girl. And then some solid supporting staff or cast members. And then some that I wasn't a huge fan of. So uh, what'd you have down for random facts and trivia? So first... The dance scene where Joel dances to old time rock and roll was completely improvised. And the script, Tom Cruise was simply instructed to dance to rock music. And boy, did he kill it. <laughs> so I, I have to say this now because I, I don't know if I made a note of this later. One thing I will give Tom Cruise credit for is I think rewatching this at the age that I did and after Tom Cruise has done everything that he's did, that he has done the thing that I thought I was going to have a hard time with was buying Tom Cruise as a, as a high school kid, as a young man. And I did, he killed it in that. And that dance scene and what you just said is, you know, a credit to that. Sorry. No, no. It's so fun with this dancing too, how this is what like people remember. And like, this is probably like one of the, the few lighthearted film, like moments in the entire film is in the beginning, but boy, like yeah. it's so funny how like this thing is like what people picture like associate this movie with. Well, it's because it's the only scene where you can like, you can market it. Yeah, exactly. You can't. Yeah. This movies, if you haven't seen this movie in a long time, Joe and I were talking about before we started recording, but I hadn't seen it in a long time and it's way more of an adult movie. It hits you with it right away. It's, it's, you're like, you're like two minutes in you're like, Oh shit, this is, this is not what I remember. So anyway, sorry, go ahead, Joe. So in the DVD commentary, Diane Lane says that Tom Cruise got the script for the film while shooting the outsiders and had asked Lane to audition for the role of Lana or Lena. Her father later told the producers there was no way I was playing a 20-something hooker, which when I watch a lot of these movies as like when these actresses and actors are kids, sometimes I wonder like, are their parents okay with what they're doing on screen right now? Like it always crossed my mind. So the fact that this is kind of like, you know, this is you know, a reality with some, with some parents. <laughs> you know what I always wonder similar to that is not so much the dark stuff, but I always wonder with like I'm trying to think of an example, like in San in Sandlot, right? Like the Great Hambino. There was a casting call that went out for like a fat kid, right? You know what I mean? And yeah. like some parent has to go go and be like, "Hey, Patrick Renna, this this has you written all over it." Says right here, <laughs> seriously, no, says you're right, right. Here, they need, says right here they need a fat kid, <laughs> or like all the kids in heavyweight. <laughs> All the kids yes. in heavyweight. It's like how this this director is looking for a bunch of fat little kids, and you have to like as a parent be like, "Hey, Billy, you've got some extra pounds." <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, no. And then the last one I have is what we were discussing. 
Since this came up last episode, Curtis Armstrong, who played teenager, was 28 during filming the summer of 1982. So I think what it was that made him more believable in this to me is, and I, I can't check this because I don't remember, but I feel like definitely the facial stubble yes. was yep. part of it. And then the other thing was, I feel like in um, in Better Off Dead, and I could be making this up, but I feel like there were scenes where he had like chest hair hanging out, which was very 80s. Um, I would have been better off in the 80s because I'm a hairy monster. But the I think that combination of like the stubble and because rewatching this, I was like, oh god, they got this this Curtis Armstrong guy again. He's not going to pass for a high school kid. And then I was like, actually, it kind of works here. But I don't know. So no, I have to go I, back I like, and do like a side by side. Like you said, I think those how clean shaven he was in this film compared to Better Off Dead. Because like you said, right. he had stubble. He had the long hair. He was he looked like yeah, he, he looked homeless. He, he did. So <laughs> the clean shaven definitely helped out. In the, for this film all and right, that's so, all i had so what would you have i know you had a you had a decent yeah, amount I had a decent amount so the most important ones that i want to focus on are, are the casting possibilities so as far as the role of joel goodson so tom cruise's role other people that auditioned for that role john cusack nicholas cage michael j fox tom hanks and sean penn all auditioned for that role for the role of lana or lana or whatever Sharon Stone. Here's a crazy one. Frank Sinatra was considered for the role of Guido, but he was deemed too serious for the role and too old. Sinatra was almost in his 60s at this point, a little old to be playing a, a young, tough, athletic pimp who chases Joel around the city. Someone who's supposed to be in a love triangle with Joel and Lana. Or Lana. I actually think <clears throat> I would have rathered Frank Sinatra. I'm surprised that Frank Sinatra wanted to be involved in this at this yeah. point. You know? He's king of the world, but um, I thought Joey, and I, like I said, I like Joey Pantoliano, but it was a combination of his haircut and he was a bad, he was a creepy looking dude in this movie. He was, and I, I don't want to like have this be like the do all reason, but he was kind of like, he was very intimidating and like he had his, his, his shirt unbuttoned to show no chest here. I'm like, no. Joey, this is not, this is not a good look. <laughs> well, and like Tom Cruise is this like young buck, like in good shape, like <laughs> if you're if you're there is like a, a fear when you're when you're 18 you do think or whatever he was 17 18 when you're that age as a guy you do think of people that are older than you as males that are older than you as like automatically tougher than you but that's kind of within reason like if he was a bigger guy it'd be different but if i was tom cruise and i was 17 18 and then you send i'm supposed to be afraid of joey pantoliano at least that joey pantoliano i'd be like no nah, man um so other than that, at one point, the original or the original title was White Boys Off the Lake. Um, and then as far as Tom Cruise's appearance, in an effort for Tom Cruise to look more teenage in appearance, the producers put him through an unusual bit of physical training. This kind of maybe this is the start of Tom Cruise being a psychopath. So Cruise worked out seven days a week in order to lose 10 pounds. And once that had been accomplished, he immediately ceased working out and ate extremely fatty foods in order to add a layer of baby fat. That's how he had the uh, fresh-faced teenage look. Although Tom Cruise still looks pretty young, so I don't really know that that was necessary. Um, did Curtis go through that routine? Yeah, no, no. Okay. <laughs> he did. The, he went through like the smoke a pack of Marbs a day, <laughs> and, like drink Schlitz like he was doing in the movie. Um, last one is that uh, Joel's house is located as twelve at located at twelve fifty eight Linden Avenue in Highland Park, Illinois. In Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Cameron's house is located at 370 
Beach Street in Highland Park, Illinois. So in reality, they're located just around the corner from each other, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, did you have anything down for uh, stuff that wouldn't fly in today's environment, PC stuff? I mean, not really. I guess the whole idea of prostitution mixed with the teenagers could be a problem. But like you, like we talked about before, it's it's kind of like a darker from the begin with. So it's not like it's and we don't see the things happening on screen. So I think that would be a big problem if we saw all these prostitutes with a bunch of high school kids all the time. But, but uh, yeah, what you have? It, no, I agree with that. And I, I also think that it would be way different. And this is, say what you will about this, it's, it's a reality. People would have a way harder time with it if it was high school girls with male prostitutes. There's like guys totally get way more freedom in that way. So yeah, no, I, I thought the same thing. It's a comedy kind of. So it's it's a stupid movie about high school boys. You can't act surprised that high school boys would want to. Right, and thankfully they don't spend. show it. Like they don't show like all like the sex happening on screen, which would be a little awkward. Right. So the only other thing that I had that didn't age well was the salaries that they were impressed with when they were, especially for Harvard <laughs> graduation grads. They were like, do you know what like Harvard grads make annually? They were like forty thousand dollars or so. Not that there's anything wrong with making forty thousand dollars, but. That's not a, a a wage that in today's day and age you're like, oh my god. Yeah, even when the friend comes in with a hundred dollars flashing like yeah. Lazal impression, like he just comes in with a hundred dollars. It's like just right. like that. It's like a million dollars, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Tom Cruise's tidy whities not a good look in, in 2021. Yeah. Um, what'd you have down for your favorite scene? This was kind of tough, but both of these categories between things I would change in this scene were kind of tough for me to choose. But I love the car chase scene. It's a generic pick, but I just I loved it. It had a lot of fun bench with the characters. Um, Curtis Armstrong giving some pretty funny lines in the backseat to make it kind of a lighthearted scene, even though it was kind of intense. Um, we have Tangerine Dream playing, who has an awesome soundtrack in this film. We'll get into it in a little bit. But Tangerine Dream's score in this movie was too good. It was too good. And that kind of rose the tension up a little bit as well. And then we get the character development. We get awkward as all hell tom cruise who he, you know he did his job as like awkward as like kind of shy around girl teenager i guess in this in this case but we see a little development between the two of them between him and lana and then that kind of carries us over for, for the rest of the film and then we see curtis who out of all of his friends is the best to have on screen in my opinion we saw a lot of him on it as well so it was a really good combination of all everything at once between the soundtrack the development and just how fun it was with everything going on. Uh, I took a few things down from what you were just saying, and I was going to say a few things, but my memory is bad, so I can only at the moment think of one. Um, the one thing that this movie like stress and it is so true to this day and will always be true is a pretty girl can get whatever the hell she wants. It, they <laughs> girls run the world, dude. Like I know that there's stuff that needs to change as far as like real you know society stuff but anyone who says any guy who says like oh i wouldn't fall for that or i wouldn't whatever it's like if a girl like that walked in a room and smiled at you you would do whatever the hell you know oh, what I mean? definitely and this is and this is a guy who this is his like his first i guess you could say like so it's like this is a <laughs> this is between those two he would yep. this high school kid falling for this girl and she having an interest in him is kind of a big deal i, I assume what does he say at the end of the at the car chase? He's like, Porsche, nothing 
he's like nothing beats a Porsche, nothing better or something. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I forgot what it was. Also, real quick too, I loved this is more of like you just kinda of, we just I just remember this as we we're talking about it, but um talking about their love and their love scene, I guess, when they first when they first meet and hook up. I love how we see them again off to the side there when they're having sex in the stairs. We see all the pictures of of little Joel. And when he's just in himself as we're scrolling through the wall, I'm like, that's and those are real stupid. pictures of Tom Cruise. Oh, I know, I saw yep. that, but I love how he's still like they're showing, like, you know, here is this once innocent boy who's like, yep. <laughs> he walks in the background. I'm like, man, that was, I love that camera shot. No, that was good. Um, I think my favorite scene is without a doubt, I reference it with my quote, but the scene where Miles, played by Curtis Armstrong, gives Joel uh, the every now and then say fuck it speech. I have friends and family and whatever that I've had a much like not as creative and not as well said version of that talk with. Um, and, you know, the results of my speeches weren't as, as serious as Joel's, but it, it's true. And I'm not saying you have to like not try at all or not follow any rules, but some people worry too much about, you know, what other people think of them or making sure they follow all the rules and dot all the I's and cross all the T's. And so, I thought that that was a good, a good way. Yeah, I don't know. I just liked it, and, and I actually, and it, she wouldn't mind me saying this. My wife is a person like that who just sometimes stresses out about stuff too much, and I've had, I've tried to tell her that a million times. And so when we, when I, after I rewatched this movie, she didn't watch it with me, but I played that one scene for her. I was like, hey, you got to watch this, and she, she'll admit it. She's like, yeah, I know. I gotta, I gotta get better at that. So, um, that was my favorite scene. And scene. it's just a good friend, good friend scene. I like, I like good yeah. buddy, buddy scene. So me too. That was a good scene. What, what'd you have down for the soundtrack? I think we're going to disagree on one thing. Oh boy. Don't you mention my tangerine dream. Halfway through this film, I kept telling myself how good the soundtrack was without realizing it. And once I found out, I wasn't surprised at all. Tangerine dream did the film score. And man, I thought it was awesome. Um, they've done a little bit of everything from films to their own work, to helping score video games, such as Grand Theft Auto five, most recent, They've also done one of my favorite films, which will make an appearance here someday, Sorcerer. Um, on top of Tangerine Dream, there's also some licensed tracks from Bruce Springsteen, who's amazing and everything. Bill Collins, amongst others. Um, but since Tangerine, Tangerine Dream's score did take up about half the film, I do think they were the standout in this when it comes to the soundtrack. So I have the... I agree that I like the soundtrack, but I for the opposite reason. I love like the the music going on in the background like hungry heart by springsteen old-time rock and roll obviously in the, in the famous scene in the air tonight i didn't love the tangerine dream stuff personally i don't hate it it's just it was very it's very it's synthy very, so you have to like yeah, to, I, think you have, I think you have to i think you have to like appreciate that sound so like it definitely isn't for everyone it's a very right. synthy sound but all in all the, the soundtrack was great i just i think also between the two of us i'm more of like a i like hearing like a use of an already known song for yeah. soundtracks there are exceptions but the no. license tracks work right though like i said bruce yeah. brings like this so it was a good soundtrack the license right. stuff but... so for stuff that i would change i guess i'll go first for stuff you could change i think this might be a, a controversial opinion but there are a decent amount of things i would change about this but as far as the plot goes i think it it swings a little too far in the don't follow the rules direction. Like after that speech, they could, it didn't have to automatically go to like get a hooker and, and then eventually turn into a pimp. But so, but I'm going to forget about that stuff for a second. I would make a casting change. 
the minute that I read the Tom Hanks audition for the role of Joel, I couldn't get out of my head. I actually rewatched the movie um, with that in my head. And I think he would have been the best choice out of the ones listed, you know, by far. And so of the other people mentioned, I don't buy Tom Cruise's insecure personally. That was my problem with it. Like you're trying to sell to me that Tom's Tom Cruise is this like shy, like, Oh, I'm not good with girls guys. I, I didn't buy that. I also don't buy that. He'd run like a prostitution party or whatever you call it. Um, run a brothel. Like you said, I think Cusack could do the insecure thing very well. He's done it before in other movies, but again, I don't buy him turning into a, a pimp. Same deal with Michael J. Fox. Sean Penn would probably be the runner up for me out of the people listed, but I think Tom Hanks would have been the best choice. So after I read that that was a, an option, I was like, oh, that would have brought that movie, this movie to another level for me. What about you? Going off that list, Tom Hanks has like that already, that innocent look to him. And like, it would have really thrown a curveball all right on top of what this movie's about. Like having this, you know, like just not, I don't want to like, you know, say this just by looks, but Tom Hanks looks like he'd be son who be a good person in school. Like someone who would listen to the rules all the time. Like, whereas like Tom Cruise is like this, he has like that jock look to him, which let's be real. Yeah. Jocks aren't always going to be like the top of the class. Like they're going to be focusing on, you know, the athletic well, side of things, which is, I think what kind of threw me off with his physique. And they're less likely to be like, Oh, I'm so insecure about women. And right. How exactly. I do women. Yeah. Like Tom Hanks is a good looking dude, but he, he, he's all, he's not such a like, that's not so much of his reputation that he can't play like a, a kind of a insecure guy. Right. At, but like you said, even as watching better off dead, I think John Cusack could also pull off John. Like he has like that awkwardness to him as well, which I think would be perfect. <laughs> oh, he's one of the, he's one of the best at pulling off that part of the role. I just, yeah. I don't think he could pull off the, the second like, half of the film when he's yeah. Yeah. Although I, I guess I would say, I think even he would be better than Tom Cruise. Out of the people that listed as as casting possibilities, Maybe I think I think Tom Cruise is better than Michael J. Fox for this role, but almost every other person that they listed, I was like, that person seems like they'd be better than Tom Cruise to me. But sorry, your turn. Um, so something I would change. I I I, I kept going back and forth with this one, like I said, it was kind of tough. At times I felt like I was watching a Paul Thomas Anderson film with some of the personalities of the characters, which is obviously I don't want to, Paul Thomas Anderson films are amazing, so I don't want to throw him into like you know another genre of film. But if, with the personalities of these characters, I kind of felt like I was getting into one of those films. Um, but a couple of things that came to mind is, like we talked about earlier, the the time frame of when his parents are gone kind of threw me off. I wasn't sure how the hell this was all happening in just a few days. I didn't know what you know. I I didn't know if it was the third day into the vacation or the third, second day or and like we mentioned, with everything happening, like just mere hours before the parents come home, obviously it's a film, I guess that's going to raise attention, but it was kind of really out there for me. Um, and I also put down some of his friends who weren't as good gets a lot more spotlight than others that are just really great. So I think like Curse was the best, best person in this film who plays Miles. I think Miles was the best friend in this film, but we have scenes with like Glenn, and I think Glenn's an asshole. Dude, I wanted to punch Glenn in the face. And <laughs> I, I wanted to punch I wanted to punch Joel in the face. When Glenn shows up at his house, that's he's like, hey, can I pretty of. much 
bang my girlfriend in your house? How about no, dude? How about no? And then on top of that, the fact that Joel has to actually question if he slept with the girl he might be interested right. in. And like, nope. I'm like, okay, Glenn's a piece of shit. So yep. I wish other characters, Barry was pretty good too, but I wish yep. Curtis got the most probably out of all the friends because he obviously had the biggest impact to Joel with this quote. And, yep. um, but other than that though, I think some, some of those things, if they change and gave the better friends more spotlight and just made more clear on, I guess the parents time away and make it a little more realistic. I know this movie's ridiculous as it is premise wise, but just a little more than four days. Like you said, maybe make it a week vacation or like a week and a half vacation. Something that's a little more believable than just a few days. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, so if you've listened before, you know, this is the part of the podcast where we give our score. Would you mind? We rate movies on a scale of one to five. Would you mind paying a leaf to keep this movie? So a score of one is you get three minutes in and there's that like nude scene and you're like, I didn't sign up for this. I thought this was a family film. And you turn it off all the way up to a score of five, which is you're going to keep it, watch a few extra, keep it a few extra days so you can watch again, show it to your friends. Uh, maybe even just buy it from the video store so you don't have to bring it back. So it was my pick. So Joe's going to go first this week. So Joe, on a scale of one to five, what do you think about, uh, what do you think about this one? So you know what's funny? Going into this movie, like the first few minutes, for whatever reason, I thought it was PG-13. So once I saw that, I was like, "Holy shit, this is not this is this is R-rated." I'm like, "Okay, this is the real deal right now." They throw you, they get, they let you make you aware of it very, very early very on. Quick. Yep. <laughs> um, but I know a lot about this movie going into it. It's been a while since I've seen it. I have seen it before, but a long time ago. My most recent, I guess, thoughts on it were from an episode of The OC. My, my OC plug. They have a whole episode. <laughs> there it is. Uh, my, no, 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 no. Mine, <laughs> same thing with me. It's but saved by the bell. I think okay. of the episode where they get the beach house and they do like the kind of the reenactment of of him sliding in and. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yep. Sorry, yeah. No, in the OC, they have the crystal A gets stolen and they have to get it back. So the whole thing is in that the end they have those the criminal or thug throwing the egg and you see one of the characters from the OC slow motion to catch it. But that was like what going to this movie. I thought this movie, I thought it was gonna have a bigger impact on this crystal egg, but it threw a complete curveball on me. We talked about prostitution, about gangsters and pimps, and it was completely unexpected. I really liked it though. I thought the soundtrack was awesome. I thought the characters, while you said some of them might have been a better fit for the main for the main role, I thought they were all pretty good. Um, Curse Armstrong coming in strong in this film after dead better off dead um some things i, I would change like i mentioned before are that were kind of confusing it was a time frame and um i wish some of the characters who are less shitty you know got a little more screen time but i really liked this and i ended up giving this a four i didn't realize it was gonna be as high as like you know the ron Tomato score i didn't realize like roger brigade a perfect score but yeah I, I really liked it so you are definitely in the majority i i so I, for me, there, there's really like two stories here. One, how much did I like the movie? If I scored it just based on that, the score would be not great. I think this is a, a really odd role for Tom Cruise, like I mentioned, even at a young age. I also didn't like Joey Pantoliano, like I mentioned as Guido. The story was too crazy for me, at least with like this cast. But I do give some credit for inspiring other films, like we have to remember this came out in 83. I think the reason Ebert liked this so much is at the time he hadn't seen the other movies about a kid coming out of high school, trying to make sense of everything, feeling the pressure, etc. Um, there, there were a lot of moments in this movie where I was like, 
the oh i kind of get a, a ferris bueller vibe from this one or i kind of get a like cameron's character in ferris bueller where he's you know he's just doubting himself and whatever there's a lot of that stuff and this is kind of the first to do it it was kind of a little bit of a trailblazer so with the bonus points for being a trailblazer this is probably going to shock some people but i gave it a 2.5 out of 5 oh okay but i will say that I think that with a casting change, like maybe Hanks instead of Cruz, and a very, a few very minor tweaks, I would have, I could have seen this being like a four and a half or whatever. It was, it was a weird movie where it was like, I didn't love it, but I, I could see how I would change it and make it a movie that I was one of my favorites. So I see what they're trying to do. I think they just missed on a few things for me. Yeah, I think I, I think Alex as much as I do like darker films, darker comedies, and this movie, I not I thought it was gonna be like a lighthearted, like you know, yeah, get egos missing. It's like I'm not sure to get the egg back, but like I think the twist for me, showing like you know, we see a pimp holding a gun up to the window at one point. I'm like, okay, I'm like this is obviously <clears throat> a darker film that I remember going into. What does he say? That was one of the, I I meant to write that down. What is what is um. Tom Cruise say when he like taps the glass of the gun he's like hey bucko or something he calls him something like <laughs> yeah I can't remember now it's it's like dude if someone taps there you for either you just floor it right he's always trying to get like, into that affair right be like okay, yeah Tom, that's not the time to, <laughs> right. to not swear <laughs> right. if you're gonna say something be like hey listen mother like <laughs> you, you know what I mean you don't go like hey buddy um but yeah no Dan it's definitely a classic and I think it paved the way for a lot of other a lot of other ones. So um, the beer, crispy business for uh, crispy business for Mayflower Brewing. Like I said, super crushable. Highly recommended if you can pick it up nearby. When you mentioned Ferris Bueller a second ago, and we talked about Better Off Dead and this movie, isn't it funny how all these movies in the '80s, their covers of posters were all these cool kids with like glasses on, the sunglasses coming off their face. It's like it's almost like a recurring theme with these films. This one, the last one we did, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. They always have like the same like. Well, Joe. I'm going to skip back to a random fact that I didn't read but since you brought up sunglasses. <laughs> the sunglasses Joel wears are the Ray-Ban Wayfair model. Annual sales of Wayfarers were languishing as of 1983, but skyrocketed 2000% after this movie's release. This film and the Blues Brothers 2000 or the Blues Brothers in 1980 have contributed to the popularity of Wayfarers since. Look at that. <laughs> yep, look at that. Had that ready. Nice. Sorry for interrupting you, by the way. I said that before I lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's okay. So, um, follow us on Instagram, Worth a Late Fee. Suggestions are always welcome. And Joe, are we going to do the listener request? We are. All right. So, we had um, one of our listeners, Alexandra, write in, and she asked that we reveal, review the movie Never Been Kissed with Drew Barrymore. So, we're going to be talking about that one next week um again worth a late fee on instagram if there's a movie you have that you'd want us to review um send it in thank you alexandra and thank you guys for listening as always thank you